encourage you to, to, to extra pay attention this morning uh, to make sure that what I'm saying is from the Word of God. As we continue our verse-by-verse study of uh, the book of Romans, we come now to the last paragraph of Romans chapter 2, verse 25. Would you look with me there? Romans chapter 2 and verse 25. For circumcision indeed is of value if you obey the law. But if you break the law, your circumcision becomes uncircumcision. So if a man who is uncircumcised keeps the precepts of the law, will not his uncircumcision be regarded as circumcision? Then he who is physically uncircumcised but keeps the law will condemn you who have the written code and circumcision but break the law. For no one is a Jew who is merely one outwardly, nor is circumcision outward and physical, but a Jew is one Inwardly, and circumcision is a matter of the heart, by the spirit, not by the letter. His praise is not from man, but from God. It seems to me that there is much in this paragraph that is glorious, and there is much in this paragraph that can be difficult. Um... This is one of those passages in which there is treasure here, but unless you are well acquainted with the Scriptures, the treasure is not immediately apparent. You have to do some work for it. You have to dig for the treasure in this passage. You have to know what circumcision has been about in the Old Testament so that when you hear what Paul is saying, your jaw drops, which is what it should do. When you read this paragraph, the teaching that you just read about in that paragraph is the teaching that had Paul being driven from city to city to city by Jews who were angry at him and wanted him in prison or stoned for what he just said. But you can't really understand that unless you understand what circumcision has been about. So my intention this morning is to preach a preparatory sermon. After Easter, we're going to take this paragraph verse by verse and unpack it. But we need to have the right tools. And part of the tools we need is an understanding of what the Bible has taught about circumcision before this, particularly in the Old Testament. So this message is preparatory for what's coming in a few weeks. And it's preparatory for many, many, many more weeks to come. Because passages about circumcision are common in the New Testament and indeed in the Bible. Uh, so this, this message hopefully will help you not only to, to better understand future sermons, it will help you to better understand future Sunday school lessons, it will help you in your personal devotions, I hope, when you come to passages about circumcision. Hopefully it will help you as you tackle passages in family worship that deal with this issue. If God would be pleased to, to use these next few moments, hopefully... We can gain an ability to understand what God is saying to you through this doctrine of circumcision. Now, perhaps you come to a passage that talks about circumcision and you just skip over it, assuming it has nothing to do with with you. Friends, let me remind us that God gave us every passage of the Bible for a reason. 
and that every passage of Scripture does have to do with you. Friends, there is a circumcision which God requires of you in order for you to be saved. And so the subject matters. So in order that you might understand your Bible rightly and interpret it well, I urge you to worship God this morning by seeking to listen well. This could prove to be very helpful to you as it has been to me. So I want to pursue a theme with you. I want to pursue the theme of the significance of circumcision in the Old Testament. And I want you to turn with me to Genesis 12. To Genesis 12. This is a passage we will be looking at again in just a few weeks when we return to our study of Genesis for a while. Take a break from Romans, come back to Genesis and the life of Abraham to spend some time there. We'll probably spend several weeks on this crucial, crucial passage. Genesis 12, verses 1 through 3. Listen to this. Now the Lord said to Abram, Go from your country and your kindred, and your father's house, to the land that I will show you. And I will make of you a great nation, and I will bless you, and make your name great, so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and him who dishonors you I will curse. And in you, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. Abram was not some great saint of God when God appeared to him and made this promise. He was a regular man, a Gentile, a pagan, like everybody else in the world. And suddenly God breaks through into Abram's life with these great promises to him. Abram, I've chosen you out of all the people of the world to make these promises to. What promises does he make? Big promises. Number one, God promises that he will create from Abram a nation, a people. This is the promise of a day when Abraham's children will be gathered together as a kingdom. Second, God promises that he will give this nation, this kingdom, this people from Abraham a land. In fact, he tells Abram to go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you. And in the very next chapter, chapter 13 of Genesis, in verses 14 and 15, we find Abram in the promised land. And look at what God says in Genesis 13, 14 through 15. Genesis 13, 14 through 15. The Lord said to Abram, after Lot had separated from him, lift up your eyes. Look from the place where you are, northward and southward and eastward and westward. For all the land that you see, I will give to you and to your offspring forever. So God breaks into this man's life and says, I'm going to make a people from you, a nation, a kingdom, and I'm going to give them a land. And notice the last word I just read. Forever. This word implies that God is going to create from Abram a nation that will last forever and that they will dwell on a land that will last forever. Third, God promises that he will bless Abram and his descendants. 
He, we learn that this means that God will care for them. God's going to protect them. God is, most importantly, going to dwell with them in a unique and special way. And fourth, God promises that not only is He going to bless them, but He's going to make them a blessing to others. So we have the promise of Abram's family being made into a kingdom that will last forever on a land that will last forever where they will be both blessed and a blessing. And all of these promises, Abram, are yours. And here's what you have to do in return. Did Abram have to earn these promises? All God asked of Abram, in light of all the glorious promises he just made to them, is this. Trust what I've said. Trust that what I've said is true and live as if what I've said is true because it is. Faith is all I require of you, Abraham, a faith that will show itself in the way you live. In this case, I'm asking you to go. Show you trust me by by going. As we will see in later weeks, Abraham's faith was not a strong faith. But it was a faith sustained by God. It was a slender thread that God upheld. Think about this. Promise after promise after promise given to Abram. And all Abram is called to do is to trust the promises. To trust God. Just like Adam in the Garden of Eden where gift after gift after gift is given to him. There's the garden itself and all its glory. There's the gift of a wife. There's the privilege of serving God and walking with God. And all Adam had to do to have these promises his forever, to have these gifts secure forever for him and for us was to trust God and to show it by keeping his one command, not to eat from that one tree. Adam's faith did not hold fast But here in Genesis 12, we learn that God is looking to create for Himself a people who will trust Him. And that people that He is going to create who will trust Him, He will bless forever. And this is true of us who are Christians. God has made promise after promise after glorious promise to us. In fact... The same promises that God made to Abram are our promises by faith in Christ. God is making us into a kingdom that will last forever. God is bringing us into a promised land, the new earth, the new Jerusalem that will last forever. Aren't you looking forward to it? God has promised to bless us beyond our wildest imaginations. He's promised to work through us and to make us a blessing to others. And all of this is given to us and we're not called to earn any of it because we never could. It's all given to us freely as a gift. All we are called to do is trust God's promise. Receive it. All we are called to do is take God at His word and live as if these promises are true because they are. Now, this promise of how God is going to bless Abram and his family is called the Abrahamic Covenant. Last week I made you say it. I'm going to make you say it again. Say Abrahamic Covenant. Let's say it again. Abrahamic Covenant. 
Very good. What happens next is really, really interesting. The word covenant in the Old Testament is built upon the word which means to cut. When people made agreements or covenants in the Old Testament, they would cut a covenant. And the significance of this was that if somebody broke the covenant, they would be cut off in some way. Either the relationship would be cut off with whomever they made the covenant, or the agreement would be cut off, or in the most serious cases, it meant that you would be cut off. That is, that your failure to keep the covenant would bring destruction or death. Look with me at Genesis 15, verses 17 through 20. Genesis 15, verses 17 through 20. This passage is strange. This passage is weird. And this passage is so important. Beginning in verse 17 of Genesis 15. When the sun had gone down and it was dark, behold, a smoking fire pot and a flaming torch passed between these pieces. Those pieces are the pieces of a carcass of a dead animal. On that day, the Lord made a covenant with Abram, saying, To your offspring I give this land, from the river of Egypt to the great river, the river Euphrates, the land of the Kenites, the Kenizzites, the Cadmonites, the Hittites, the Perizzites, the Rephaim, the Amorites, the Canaanites, the Girgashites, and the Jebusites. Now what is that about? What's, what's going on here? What is this smoking fire pot and this flaming torch passing between these two pieces of a dead carcass? Well, as we will see in a few weeks, this is God sealing His covenant with Abram with an oath. This is God's way of calling on Himself a maledictory curse if He proves a liar. This is God Almighty, the, creation of, the Creator of heaven and earth, humbling Himself to perform an ancient Near Eastern rite which says that He Himself will die if He does not keep His promise to Abram. If God does not keep, keep His covenant, God says He will be cut off. Which is amazing. Consider the humility of God to choose to bind himself in this way as evidence to Abram that his promises are sure. And thank God that our God is a faithful God who never fails to keep his word. Aren't you thankful for that? It is just as impossible for God to break his promise as it is impossible for God to die. So this was God's way of saying to Abraham with these promises, if I don't keep my promise, if I am not faithful, curses on me. But what about Abram's part in the covenant? How does he, how does his children show that they are in this covenant? What will serve as a reminder to them that if they reject God and doubt his promise and refuse to trust him, that they will be cut off from the promises. And the answer is circumcision. Circumcision. Look at Genesis 17. Genesis 17, beginning in verse 9. Beginning, Genesis 17, beginning in verse 9. 
God said to Abraham, As for you, you shall keep my covenant, you and your offspring after you throughout their generations. And this is my covenant which you shall keep between me and your offspring after you. Every male among you shall be circumcised. You shall be circumcised in the flesh of your foreskins, and it shall be a sign of the covenant between me and you. He who is eight days old among you shall be circumcised. Every male throughout your generations, whether born in your house or bought with your money from any foreigner who is not of your offspring, both he who is born in your house and he who is bought with your money shall surely be circumcised. So shall my covenant be in your flesh an everlasting covenant. Any uncircumcised male who is not circumcised in the flesh of his foreskin shall be cut off from his people. He has broken my covenant. We make two assertions about circumcision. Number one, circumcision identified a person as in the covenant. Your circumcision showed that God's promises to Abraham were promises for you. By being circumcised, and and it wasn't just for uh, those who were ethnically born of Abraham, foreigners could enter into this promise by agreeing to be circumcised. And when they did so, they were saying, I am believing these promises. I am believing they are going to come true. I am bringing myself into those promises. And I am also bringing on myself the duty of trusting God. Males were circumcised at eight days old. Foreigners could be brought in if they agreed to be circumcised. Females were in the covenant community by the male they belonged to. That is a woman under the authority of a circumcised father or later under the authority of a circumcised husband was considered in the community. And to be a member of this covenant community meant great, great promises were yours. And it also meant that it was your responsibility to trust God for those promises, to long for the day when they will come true, to live as if they're true. You are to live with love for God, with thanksgiving, with regard for His instruction, looking to God and longing for the day when the promises would be finally and fully fulfilled. So, circumcision identified somebody as in the covenant, number two. Circumcision was a warning about breaking the covenant. Circumcision was a warning about breaking the covenant. The message of circumcision was that if you rejected God, if you did not trust Him, if you you did not live with an obedient faith, if you disbelieved His promises to you, you would be cut off and the promises would not be yours. Doesn't matter who your father or grandfather was, you would be counted as a pagan, one under God's wrath. Every day, a person's circumcision was a physical reminder of a spiritual reality. If you choose to forsake God and His covenant, you will be cut off and separated from Him and His blessings. So, The sign of the Abrahamic covenant was this circumcision. And for the next 400 years, the children of Abraham multiply. God makes clear that his promise is not for all of Abraham's children. Ishmael's family is excluded. 
Esau's family is excluded. It is the children of Jacob, whom God renames Israel, that are his covenant people. And this family multiplies greatly, all the while waiting for the promises that God made to Abram to come true. They're not yet in the promised land. They're not yet a nation of their own. They're not yet a blessed people. They're spending most of this time as slaves in Egypt. They're not yet a blessing, a light to the world. But just like us today in the waiting room, waiting for Jesus to come back, waiting for the the final fulfillment of his promises to, 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 to become a reality in our lives, so they are in this period of waiting. And then God raises up Moses. And through him sets Israel free from Egypt and brings them to Mount Sinai. And here, at last, it seems God's promise to Abraham is about to be fulfilled. God is officially making Abram's descendants into a kingdom. And God himself is going to be their king. He gives them his law to serve as their constitution. He's going to lead them into the promised land. He's going to give it to them over their enemies. He commands that there be a tabernacle, later a temple, where he's going to dwell in their presence and bless them. Moreover, he's going to make them a blessing to the nations around them. Here at Mount Sinai, it seems like God's promises to Abraham are finding their fulfillment. Look at Exodus 19. Exodus 19, if you would. Getting in verse 1. Exodus 19, verse 1. On the third new moon, after the people of Israel had gone out of the land of Egypt, on that day they came into the wilderness of Sinai. And they set out from Rephidim and came into the wilderness of Sinai, and they encamped in the wilderness. There Israel encamped before the mountain, while Moses went up to God. The Lord called to him out of the mountain, saying, Thus you shall say to the house of Jacob, and tell the people of Israel, You yourselves have seen what I did to the Egyptians, and how I bore you on eagles' wings and brought you to myself. Now therefore, if you will indeed obey my voice and keep my covenant, you shall be my treasured possession among all peoples, for all the earth is mine. And you shall be to me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. These are the words that you shall speak to the people of Israel. God is about to bless and bless and bless these people just as he had promised. And what is required of them in return? Obedient faith. Trust in God. They do not have to be perfect. Contrary to what some people think, God does not tell the Jews that they have to keep His law absolutely perfectly or they will be damned. No, He creates this whole system of sacrifices, every one pointing to Christ so that there is a way of forgiveness for when they fall. All God asks is that they trust Him, that they know that He is a good God and a wise God, that He has set His love on them and that they live that way. Their efforts to keep the law of God would show that they really believe that God is good. It would show that they really believe that God is wise. It would show that they really believe that He knows what's best for them. 
And when they messed up and they did their sacrifices for their sins, it would show that they believed that God is a merciful God, that God is a forgiving God. Their actions would show their faith. And as long as they trusted God, they would be blessed. And all those promises to Abraham would come true in them. Are you with me? We still together? This will come back to you, I promise. This doesn't matter. One more thing. They were to continue circumcising their children. Circumcision remained even now what it was before. A way of identifying that you were in the covenant and a warning that if you did not trust God, you would be cut off from it and that you would be under the wrath of God like the pagans around you. Turn back to Exodus 12 very quickly. Exodus 12, verse 43. Institution of the Passover. Exodus 12, verse 43. And the Lord said to Moses and Aaron, This is the statute of the Passover. No foreigner shall eat of it. But every slave that is bought for money may eat of it after you have, what? Circumcised him. No foreigner or hired servant may eat of it. It shall be eaten in one house. You shall not take any of the flesh outside of the house. You shall not break any of its bones. All the congregation of Israel shall keep it. If a stranger shall sojourn with you and would keep the Passover to the Lord, let all his males be what? What? Circumcised. Then he may come near it and keep it. He shall be as a native of the land, but no uncircumcised person shall eat of it. There shall be one law for the native and for the stranger who sojourns among you. So here we're talking about the Passover. And this is the ceremony that God's people were to practice every year that reminds them of how God is being merciful to them and how their sins are being paid for by another. And who is this mercy for? Who is this salvation for? Who gets to participate in this act? It's the circumcised. Notice who the true children of Abraham, the true Jews are in this passage. Foreigners can be a part of this covenant people as long as they're willing to be circumcised. Gentiles who did this were considered true Jews, part of the covenant people of God. And anyone that was not willing to do this, including a Jew who would not be uncircumcised, that would not be circumcised, was excluded. Now, friends, this is exactly the way it is for us. When a person becomes a Christian, they are entering into a covenant with God, a covenant the Bible calls the new covenant. They enter into God's promises of grace and mercy, and they take on themselves the responsibility of trusting God and living with faith in Him. From God, we receive the blessing of being one of His people. We receive the gift of living with Him in paradise forever. We receive the gift of being blessed and being a blessing. It is a wonderful thing to be in the new covenant. And how do we enter the new covenant? How does anybody from the far corners of the earth enter this new covenant and have all the gifts of salvation given to them? Physical circumcision? Is that how? Some would say it's through baptism. 
They would say that just as Old Testament Israelites would circumcise their children, so today we should baptize our children, and therefore when we baptize our children, they become members of the covenant people of God. That is not what I understand the Bible to teach. We do not become Christians, and we do not enter into the new covenant promises of God, and we do not have Jesus as our Savior through baptism, as important as baptism is, and it is important. But baptism saves no one. Rather, we are saved and we enter the new covenant, whether Jew or Gentile, when we are circumcised, but not in the flesh. Circumcised in our hearts. The physical reality that is taught in the book of Exodus and throughout the Old Testament points to a greater spiritual reality in the new covenant. Who gets to have the Passover lamb as their sacrificial lamb? The circumcised. So it is in the new covenant. This is Paul's point that was so controversial in Romans 2. Who is the true Jew? Who is the one that is blessed by God? Who is the one that's going to be in this eternal land forever? Who is a citizen of the kingdom? Not those who are physically circumcised. That doesn't matter anymore. Spiritual circumcision that matters. It's spiritual circumcision that always mattered. I'm getting ahead of myself. Come back with me to Exodus. This covenant that God made at Mount Sinai with Abraham's children, the circumcised, is called the Mosaic Covenant. Everybody say Mosaic Covenant or Old Covenant. Say Old Covenant. Thank you. Everything seemed great. It seemed as if God's promises to Abraham were coming true. These people were going to be blessed. And yet very, very quickly, it became evident that things were not as good as it seemed. For God's people began to rebel. They began to doubt his promises. They began to live in blatant unbelief. And just as their physical circumcision was meant to preach to them, When they began to doubt God's promises and to turn from Him, they were cut off from the promises. Moses, seeing this begin in his own lifetime, pleaded with Israel not to forsake their God. And the way he described it was this way. You're circumcised in your flesh. That's great. Be circumcised in your heart. Don't just belong to God in your flesh. Don't just claim to be in the covenant in your flesh. The main issue is your heart. Last passage I'll make you turn to. Deuteronomy 10. Look at Deuteronomy 10. Beginning in verse 12. Promise after promise after promise given to Israel. What is God going to require of them? Verse 12, chapter 10 of Deuteronomy. And now, Israel, what does the Lord your God require of you? But to fear the Lord your God, to walk in all his ways, to love him and serve the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul, and to keep the commandments and the statutes of the Lord, which I am commanding you today for your good. Behold, to the Lord your God belong heaven, And the heaven of heavens, the earth with all that is in it. 
Yet the Lord set His heart in love on your fathers and chose their offspring after them, you above all peoples as you are this day. Circumcise, therefore, the foreskin of your heart and be no longer stubborn. For the Lord your God is God of gods and Lord of lords, the great, the mighty, and the awesome God who is not partial and takes no bribe. He executes justice for the fatherless and the widow and loves the sojourner, giving him food and clothing. Love the sojourner, therefore, for you were sojourners in the land of Egypt. You shall fear the Lord your God. You shall serve Him and hold fast to Him. And by His name you shall swear. He is your praise. He is your God who has done for you these great and terrifying things that your eyes have seen. Your fathers went down to Egypt, 70 persons, and now the Lord your God has made you as numerous as the stars of heaven. In other words, all the way back here in the very law of God, we see what is the central issue of who really is a child of Abraham, who really is in the promises of God. Not those who are physically circumcised, but those who are circumcised of heart. Mount Hermon Missionary Baptist Church, hear me. Many of you in this room claim to be Christians. Many of you in this room profess that you are in Christ. That God is your God. That the promises of the forgiveness of your sins, that the promise of heaven and eternal life, that those promises are yours. Okay? What does God require of you? What does God require of you to have all those promises be yours? He requires obedient faith. Requires that you love Him. That you believe the promises He's made to you and therefore you're, you're, you're amazed at His love for you and you love Him in return and you trust Him and it begins to show in your life. We're to be an obedient people, not out of legalism, but out of love and faith. This is what it means to be circumcised in the heart. I would call on us to show that we belong to God, not in our words and not in any physical... In the Old Testament, maybe it was physical circumcision. Maybe today you want to show that you're a Christian by the t-shirt you wear, right? Or the bumper sticker on the car. Those things don't make you a Christian. Show that you're a Christian through obedient faith. Here is the message of Romans 2, and we'll see it more clearly in two weeks. Look to your works. Look to your deeds. Look to your motivations. What drives you? What does your life show about you? Is God truly your God? It is those who have been circumcised in heart those who have been born again, those who have been changed at the core of who they are, who are God's. Is that you? The old covenant proved not to be the fulfillment of God's promise to Abraham. Not the ultimate fulfillment. God had promised an eternal kingdom of Abraham's children. And in the end, the nation of Israel was not an eternal kingdom. God Himself wiped out most of them. 
The kingdom of Israel murdered the Son of God and there was this final climactic act of disobedience and by 70 AD, the kingdom of Israel as it was established at Sinai was over. The modern state of Israel is not Old Covenant Israel. God had promised to Abraham that they would possess the promised land forever. God Himself took the promised land away from them. Even today, Jerusalem is split in half and the Dome of the Rock, a Muslim mosque, stands at the holiest place. God had promised to Abraham that He would bless His children, but in the end, because Israel rejected God, they were cursed instead of blessed. God had promised Abraham that he would make his children a blessing to others. But what do we see in the Old Testament? The very thing that Paul says in Romans 2, the name of God was blasphemed because of you. So we take those four promises that God made to Abraham and we look at Old Testament Israel and we say, nope, 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 nope. Because the Old Covenant was never meant to be the fulfillment of God's promise to Abraham. Is God a liar? (laughs) Did God bring on Himself the curse? Remember when He went through those two carcasses? Now, because those promises did not come true, is God dead? Is Nietzsche right? Of course not. The whole purpose of the Old Covenant was to bring about the New Covenant. With the coming of Jesus, God has made a new covenant and it is in this covenant the fulfillment of the promises to Abraham come true and are now yours. Did you hear what I said? Wake up! The promises that God made to Abraham are yours. Glorious promises. Promises to cling to when you find out you've got cancer. With the coming of Jesus, God has made a new covenant. In this covenant, God has chosen His people, and they are not those who are the children of Abraham by blood. It's those who are the children of Abraham by faith. As it has always been, so it is now. The true children of God are those who trust Him. Let me close with these verses. You just listen. Listen to what the New Testament says really matters not whether one is physically circumcised but whether one is spiritually circumcised 1 Corinthians 7:19 for neither circumcision counts for anything nor uncircumcision but keeping the commandments of God Galatians 5:6 for in Christ Jesus neither circumcision nor uncircumcision counts for anything but only faith working through love Galatians 6.15 For neither circumcision counts for anything nor uncircumcision, but a new creation. Philippians 3.3 For we are the circumcision who worship by the Spirit of God and glory in Christ Jesus and put no confidence in the flesh. And finally, Romans 2.28-29 No one is a Jew who is merely one outwardly, nor is circumcision outward and physical, but a Jew is one inwardly, and circumcision is a matter of the heart by the Spirit, not by the letter. So here is the question that matters most. Do you have a new heart? 
Are you a new creation? Is your life characterized by faith in Jesus that has affected the way you live? Friends, the promises of God to His people are great. We could spend all day rejoicing, counting what God has done for us, forgiveness of sin, being with Him forever and ever, the promise of holiness, the promise of peace in our heart, the promise of real joy, many, many more promises that God has made. But God's covenant promises are only for those who are in the covenant. Jesus died to purchase people and bring them in the covenant. Are you in? How do I know? Have you been circumcised in heart? Have you been changed miraculously, radically by the Spirit of God? There's only one way to know that you're in the covenant. Turn from your sins and trust Jesus. Trust Him now. Trust Him for the rest of your life. Trust Him by looking to Him. Trust Him by praying to Him and casting all your cares on Him for He cares for you. Trust Him by looking to His Word and letting Him teach you and guide you. Become His disciple. Become a follower of Jesus. Become a Christian. Go to Christ in prayer. Even now, give yourself to Him. And then show it by being baptized and seeking to walk in His ways. I pray that God would do a great circumcising work in the hearts of some even in here this morning. Let's pray. Dear unbeliever, take this moment and as God's grace allows, run to Jesus. Run to Jesus and confess your sins. Run to Jesus as your only hope. Know that there is nothing outward or or physical that you can do to make yourself right with God. The only thing that can make you right with God is having the righteousness of Christ given to you. And that only happens when you believe. So won't you throw yourself on Christ? Christians in this room, what needs to change in your own thinking, your own words, your own behavior because of what you've learned this morning? Have you been reminded of the utter necessity of a new heart, of a circumcision of the heart in order to be one of God's people? How will that affect the way you witness to others? How will that affect the way you pray for your lost friends and family members? Take a few moments now. Let's all just respond to God quietly, and then we'll respond to God in song. Let's pray.